This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good morning, church. Lovely to have you here. Thanks for joining us um, on this beautiful Sunday. Um, can I just say thank you so much to the, to the worship team. Uh, they did really well this morning. You would have noticed that we had no drummer. Uh, COVID struck. Uh, and our drummers are already a little bit thin, so uh, thanks for clapping and, um, and, and making it a joyful experience. I think uh, yeah, Stanley on his own is pretty much a one-man praise band, uh, so thanks to Stanley. We're, uh, we're in the middle of um, a Slaying Dragon series, and uh, I hope you guys have been keeping up and catching up and enjoying it. If you've missed any of the messages, we're two weeks in already. Um, this is the third week. Uh, if you've missed any, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to watch them. Um, Andre kicked off in our first week with Slaying Intimidation, uh, and last week Sonica shared about um, Slaying Disappointment, and uh, I must admit I... Uh, I slipped in and kind of sat at the back, uh, right in the back there, in the, in the, in the back row, right at the top. Uh, and I must admit, I, I spent probably 60% of that message just crying um, because I've been disappointed. And I, and I just got the sense that I wasn't the only person in the room um, who was still dealing with, with wounds as a result of, of a disappointment. Um, and, you know, the problem with an with a wound that remains untreated, is it, it can become a, a festering site of bacteria and disease. Um, and, you know, then it just takes longer to, it's harder to cure and just takes far longer to heal. And I think, you know, all of us will deal with disappointment at some time in our life. Uh, there's loss, there's setbacks, um, there's financial issues. Uh, so many things that can just come across our cross our path that can, that can derail us um, and really make, make us feel burdened. And the, the problem, though, if we, if we let those things get to us, if we let those challenges and disappointments get to us, they can quickly turn into discouragement. And discouragement can turn into depression. And that's what I want to speak about uh, to us this morning. We're going to tackle the, um, the dragon of depression. And if you find yourself... In a season of depression, or, or you're, you're prone to, to feelings um, of real, just deep despair, um, I want to let you know that this morning's message is, is not going to be a, a locker room pep talk, where I tell you just to, to suck it up, you know, cut the pity party, and, and carry on, you know, man up. There's things to do. Don't just wallow in, your, in the mire there. Nor am I going to question your faith levels. What kind of a Christian are you, anyway? Oh, ye of little faith. In fact, I'm not even going to try to convince you that your, that your feelings are invalid. That you shouldn't be feeling the way you should be. There's a, there's a misguided notion that, that the Christian cannot be depressed. That the Christian cannot get down. How could you with a joyful God? You should be full of joy. Chip Ingram, um, in his book, I Am Always With You, calls depression the common cold of emotional disorders. And if you have ever found yourself in, in, in a season of depression, I want to tell you that you're actually in very noble company. Uh, there is quite a long list of biblical greats who have found themselves um, in a similar place. There's David, 
who in his effort to hide sin, he made journal entries that speak of him groaning all day long, a total loss of strength, the ebbing away of all that is worthwhile in life. Job, who singled out as a man of God, upright and blameless, whose staggering losses and long painful illnesses brought him really low. To paraphrase, he says, my days come to an end without hope. My eye will never again see anything good. The prophet Jeremiah, who was so profoundly sad that to this day he's known as the weeping prophet, he confessed that he wished he'd never been born. Truth is, this life can really suck sometimes. I know it firsthand. Like, included from the challenges of this life. Can be tough, can be unjust, unfair. Something else that I'm not going to do this morning is stand up here and address a crowd on the complexities of clinical depression. I'm in no way qualified to do that, not even qualified to, to be up to, to preach the gospel. I promise you, I have no degrees uh, hanging on the walls of my office. A depression whose, whose triggers lie in the form of chemical, imbalance in, in, in the chemical imbalances in the brain is just altogether uh, more complicated. That's not to say that those of you who find yourselves in that place shouldn't listen this morning. We believe that the kingdom of God is at hand, am I right? Today could be the day of your liberation. I know of stories, first-hand accounts of people in this church who have gone off their antidepressant medication as a result of an encounter with a living God under this very roof. So I want us to hold out a bit of hope for the fact that God can move and he can free us from anything that has us bound at any time. I primarily want to speak to, to those of us who find ourselves occasionally or regularly just feeling the burdens of life and that we can no longer carry it. My aim this morning is simply to show you that God is closer than you think in your troubles and in your discouraging times. And that he has given each of us a very powerful weapon to wield. Okay, so back to, back to last week. Uh, I'm up there at the back, the very last row of church. And God is speaking to me. And, and the, the windscreen wipers are going. Um, and it's, it's getting ugly. It's getting messy. And I'm really thankful that I'm, that I'm right at the back and, and no one sees me blubbering. Um, I, I've kind of stepped back from, from my story for past couple sermons, um, but with apologies to, to everybody who's, who's heard this 50 times already, um, I'm going to revisit it. My disappointment came in the form of a loss. My wife was, was diagnosed with breast cancer um, in 2018 at the age of 32, and uh, we spent three hard years of much, much prayer and pursuit of healing for her. Um, it didn't happen, and uh, just over 10 months ago, uh, she passed away, and she left, uh, she left two little girls who were then four and seven. Um, one just turned eight now uh, a couple of weeks ago. But more to the point this morning, she left me too. She left me behind. And I now have the sole responsibility of so many things which we usually shared. 
And for the most part, I've been strong. And I've learned how to get along. A bit of a spirit of glory again all there, just to break the tension. But for some reason, this, this year has, has really been tough. It's, it's been tough on me, and um, just the responsibility of, of running my own business, of doing the invoicing and the bookkeeping um, and all the work uh, in order to just provide for, for myself and for my, my family, for my girls, making sure there are, are groceries in the cupboard and that the fridge and the freezer are stocked. And more important than that, to actually go sometime during the day and get something out of the fridge or the freezer so we can actually eat it. Funny how those things don't just cook themselves. Buying stationery for the year. Okay? Mothers in the house, you know what I'm talking about. All right, I could be standing up here speaking about depression alone, on, just on that topic alone. Not only do you have to source a list of, of random items all over the place, but when you get back, you've still got 24 crayons and 16 twisties and 7 prits and 4 rubbers to put a name on. Okay, the, uh, guys, you have no idea. Okay, just stick to your day job. Um, there, are, there are tough things out there in this world. Managing an extramural schedule, post-COVID, might I add. Everything just seems to be back and booming at, uh, at the schools again. Um, my eldest is now in grade two, and I don't know if it's, if it's the COVID or if it's, if it's that, but just, there's just so much um, for her to do, and I, I find myself running around from, from pillar to post all day long, packing lunch boxes in the morning, making sure the girls are picked up and dropped off at the right time, uh, helping out with, with homework uh, in the afternoon. And then there's investing significantly in them in, in the things that I actually want to do outside of what they, what they need to do. You know, playing games and, and swimming together, going for a hike and a, and a bicycle ride, you know, reading together and, and tickling them until they laugh that their veins pop out of their head or we knock over a bedside lamp, you know, whatever comes first. That's the really important stuff to me. And then there's looking after myself, making sure I'm healthy, eating three meals a day, some of you are doubting that I'm doing that. Huh? A couple more cheeseburgers, I'm sure you're thinking. Making time for myself, doing the things that, that I enjoy, making sure I'm in a healthy state. Serving here at church, managing my responsibilities as an elder and, and, a, and, a, and a preacher and a member of the band and that announcement guy and co-owner of, of Porter Coffee. And then there's doing the thing that actually matters most. Spending time with the Lord, building my relationship with Jesus, failing which all this other stuff really just hangs by a thread. And we're all busy. I'm not wearing my busyness as a badge to impress you. But the thought of that impending schedule ahead of me and all my responsibilities and all I have to think of just overwhelmed me. It really overwhelmed me at the start of the year, and I was looking forward to nothing. Looking at the calendar with just weekend after weekend booked out with commitments just really left me just overwhelmed. You know, every layer of commitment and responsibility just felt like another brick in the wall of this huge thing just looming in front of me that I had to tackle. 
And I've created just a, a series of, of illustrations to, that I hope will, will, will paint this picture and make it a bit more relatable uh, for you. So, so let's get you up on screen there. Uh, there you are. Okay. Uh, everything is great. Life is going well. You're in cruise control. Uh, you've got a house and, and a wife. Uh, you've got a car. Uh, the average two and a half kids. Everything is great. Life is, life is cushy. And then all of a sudden, something gets dropped in your path. It's a loss. It's a sickness. It's a massive business deal gone bad. It's a global pandemic. Let's get that, let's get that thing right in front of us there. Something that devastated us. COVID. Cut out many of our income streams in half. Sometimes, some, for some of us completely. Or it's a season of stressful events, just one after the other. All of a sudden, there's just this wall of despair that's beginning to build in front of us. And what does the world tell you to do? You've got to face your problems head on. Huh? Man up. So you do. You soldier on. You push ahead. What you don't realize is that while you're trying to work out what's going on, and you're just trying to keep your head above water and keep all these balls in the air, as you're approaching, as it's coming to you, you actually start taking steps down. And you're stepping down, and you're stepping down, and you're trying to get under this thing, and you're trying to get to grips with everything that you have to do, and all the responsibility. And before you know it, you're way down deep in a darkness. There you are, your two little eyes, just glinting in the darkness. Here's a question. Where are you? Where are you in relation to your problem in this illustration? Anybody? You're under it. Unknowingly and unwittingly, you have put yourself right underneath your burdens. You've positioned yourself in submission to these things, and you have given authority to those things to rule over your life. You've placed those things in a position of power that should be reserved for someone else. You've essentially enthroned them, enthroned them over your lives, and you didn't even know it. That's a scheme of the enemy right there. And what if I said to you there was, a, there was another way? Surely there has to be another way, a different approach to life's many pitfalls. Depression is defined like this, a mental condition characterized by feelings of severe despondency and dejection. Depression causes feelings of sadness and or a loss of interest in activities you once enjoyed. No arguments from my side. I think that's a pretty apt um, definition there. But I'm all about simplicity. So I want to I offer another definition that distills that down to one word. I believe that depression, in its purest form, is hopelessness. Depression is just that, a lack of hope. So what if, what if we went back there to our, our little illustration, and, and standing there in front of our problem, our challenge, our setback, our disappointment, just as that thing comes bursting into our life, what if I told you there was another option? What if there was another way out? What if there was another staircase that you hadn't seen? Would you want to climb it? 
Okay, let's hop on then. Let's get up onto that staircase. Let's hop on there. Here we go. We're heading up. Okay, should we keep going? Let's keep going, yes. Do you want to find out what's at the top? Yes, you do. It's hope. Ta-da. There is hope. There is another way that leads to hope. It places us on top of our problems in, in a realm where, where, where God is our hope. He is our strength. And we find ourselves in a place where we can really be hopeful above our problems, seated with God. And you might think, you know, what, what was I supposed to do, though? How could, I, how could I do things differently? How did I, you know, I didn't ask for this. We don't ask for these things to come across our paths. I didn't ask for my wife to, to, to leave us. We cannot control what gets thrown at us in this life. But what can we control? Our response. We can control how we respond to what gets thrown at us. You know, I have obviously so many memories um, of my wife and, and her, her character especially. You know, 13 years full of them. Um, more even, 13 married years. And, you know, one of the things that will stand out to me forever is in that season where, where she battled um, through cancer was just her unwavering hope. And it was infectious. You know, it picked her up. It picked me up. It picked actually a lot of us up who, who walked this journey along, alongside us as a family. And it didn't come easily, though. You know, that hope... Hope doesn't come easily. We have to fight for it. It's even a little bit of hope, a shred of hope. So if you find yourself in despair this morning and you have just a glimmer of hope, I want to implore you to hold on to that with everything you've got because I can guarantee you that the devil is coming for it. He sniffs out every little piece of hope and his aim is to take every hope and turn it into a nope. So he takes your hope, firm and secure. Let's go back to the hope. Let's look at that H there. Firm and secure, nice and steady. Hope is an anchor for our soul. And then what does he do? He skews it. He tells you a half-truth, a lie, a doubt. And all of a sudden, you're sliding backwards into despair and back into a pit. You know, and that was, that was true for us um, back when, when Kim was, was fighting cancer. And it's true for me now as, as I look ahead to um, a hopeful future. You know, my wife and I, we, we had a conversation, and I uh, hope you don't mind if I just get a little bit uh, vulnerable and, and, and personal um, in front of you and just let you into, into my head a bit. Um, you know, we had a conversation in the last month. Uh, and we were speaking about life for me on the other side of the, the very thing that neither, neither of us wanted to admit could happen. And uh, it was an emotional conversation to, to have just because there was such a reality to it. You know? And I, th I think as couples, some of us have this conversation, you know, like uh, usually the wife says, when you die, I'm coming back to haunt you if you get another woman. But... Um, yeah, she just stated categorically, she said, you need to find yourself another wife and a mother for your kids. Um, and I kind of just yesed it off, you know, to, uh, to move on, um, but I knew she was right. And I now find myself um, 
with a hopeful desire that, that one day I can love someone else. Someone who I can build a life with. Someone who can love me. Someone who's going to love my kids and help me to raise them. But the devil jumps onto that hope as, as, quickly, as quickly as it surfaces. And he says, nope, you can't love again. You're destined to be alone. Nope, you'll never be healed enough to let someone back into your heart, back into your home, back into your family. And besides that stuff, who's looking for a 37-year-old prematurely graying man who weighs as much as a schoolgirl anywhere? <laughs> no one's interested in you. Nobody wants to date you. And as for your kids, nope. Who wants to take on that baggage? Two half-grown children. Do you really think that someone can love your kids as much as your wife did? That some magical maternal bond can just spring up out of the air? Who is a ready-made mom? Just add water. Nope. Your kids will resent any woman who comes into your life. You're a fool for having even a shred of hope. Nope. 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 Does this kind of thing sound familiar to you? The lies that just shout so loudly and so incessantly that we begin to believe them. You know, I don't know where you're, you're at this morning and um, I don't know what you're wading through right now in your life. Maybe you're on the mountaintop. I say enjoy it. Enjoy every minute. But maybe you're in the deepest, darkest pit you've ever been. You're wading through the, through the valley, through the muck and the mire. I just want to make sure this morning that I don't move from this point without making sure that you know that the devil is lying to you. If your marriage is under pressure, taking strain, but you have a hope that it can be restored better than it ever was, I want to say that the devil is coming for that hope. He's probably speaking in your ear right now, saying, just give up. Throw in the towel. The two of you will be happier together. It will be happier apart than together. You'll never be able to restore what's been broken. You're done. Just give up. If you, if you feel stuck in a situation, be it relationally or at work or in your career, the devil is going to be lying to you at this point. He wants to silence every dream that you have that comes from God. The devil is telling you you're not good enough. You're not good enough for that. You can never change careers. You don't have what it takes. You will never be able to fix that broken relationship with that family member. If your business is failing, but you believe that you can steady the ship, he's going to say, nope, you're sinking. You don't have what it takes. You will never be successful in business. Everything you touch fails. Someone shared with me recently about being in a new classroom environment, just feeling like she was having no impact on the kids. They were just unruly. And the devil was telling her lies that they're a hopeless bunch. They'll never amount to anything. And any effort you're putting in is completely worthless. 
Why bother? There is a fight for our hope. And we need to fight back. But not in our own strength. We don't need to tackle the problem head on. In the natural. God has given us supernatural weapons in order to fight these kinds of battles. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. It says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We have weapons available to us that are more powerful than anything that we can forge here on earth. And one of the weapons that I want to focus on this morning is the weapon of praise. If hope is the antidote for hopelessness, then praise is the key to the medicine chest in which it's stored. If hope is the antidote to hopelessness, then praise is the key that we get to access that antidote. You know, and I experienced this, this firsthand. This is, this is how we kept hope alive throughout that three-year journey. And when I look back at, at actually what we, were, what we could potentially have been under, I realized we could have spent three years in one of the deepest, darkest pits we, we could ever find ourselves with, especially knowing the outcome knowing that it, it wouldn't end exactly the way that we wanted. But we praised. We kept our ra- hands raised and exaltation on our lips, and we praised God. And in that, we found a hope. And I can tell you, there was not one seriously discouraging moment in those three years because of that very fact. We held the name of God higher than our problem. And I want to stir our faith with the reality of the power of praise um, by taking us through two well-known passages of, of, of Scripture uh, where praise was used as a weapon to overcome a hopeless situation. And then I'm going to just draw out um, some points from, from those stories. So the first one, uh, probably the most well-known example that praise is a weapon is the, the story of King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Uh, when he was under attack from three different armies, uh, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites. So Jehoshaphat was, was terrified, and he, and he cried out to God for, for guidance. And a man by the name of Jehaziel came to him, and, and, and he gives the king and Judah this message. Uh, from 2 Chronicles 20, he said, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That's verse 15. And then verse 17, he says, But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Carries on in in, in verse 21 to 24. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the army of Ammon, armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, 
they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. The second account I want, to look, want us to look at is, uh, is good old Paul and Silas in, in prison, thrown in there for, for speaking about Jesus, uh, probably headed for execution, really wasn't looking good for these guys. But then they started to praise. In Acts 16, verse 25 to 26, we read, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. I think there's a lot we can learn from, from these scriptures, a lot of points and a lot of things that we can take out, but I just want to highlight three things this morning. The first is praise for the who, not the what. Now imagine with me what, um, what Paul and Silas actually looked like. Uh, paint with your imagination a bit. Um, I've never been thrown in prison, but I can imagine they don't escort you in and, and put you on a lazy boy in the corner and, and offer you biltong and nuts. You would arrive there pretty, pretty bruised and, and beaten, I imagine. A couple of broken ribs, possibly a broken nose, full of blood, and you get tossed onto a hard dirt floor. Really nothing, nothing very pleasant about the situation at all. Nothing to be overly thankful for. Yet they started to praise. And if you had asked them, but what are you praising for? I think they would have said, well, well nothing. There's, there is nothing praiseworthy about our situation. But we're not praising for the what. We're praising for the who. You know, regardless of what you're facing or how bad it looks, you still have a good God who is worthy of praise. Your circumstances may be bad, but your God is still good. He is near. His promises are true. His love is still unconditional. His grace is still amazing. And His timing is still perfect. You may not like what's going on, but you can still praise God for who He is. You know, even the army of Judah... They went out and they were singing, Your faithful love endures forever. Not exactly a rousing battle cry, but they were just praising God. They were exalting His name. And I want to tell you that we can do that too. We can go and we can just begin to praise God regardless of what we're seeing in front of us. We can praise Him for the who and not for the what. Because sometimes there are no what's. Oftentimes, if you find yourself in a, in a pit of despair, there are very few what's there. But God is still God, and we can praise Him for who He is. We can also praise Him specifically for who He is. If you, if, you, if, you need him, if you need wisdom from God, praise Him as the one who gives wisdom. If you need rescuing from a situ situation, praise Him as the rescuer. Change your own heart. Jesus, you are the lover of my soul. Thank you that you are close to me. Prince of peace, thank you that you bring peace into the situation that I'm in. Lord, I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. Point number two, praise before the provision. It's really easy to be thankful when things go right, isn't it? Your daughter passed matric. Your son is selected for the first team rugby, and you're so happy. Thank God 
Thank you, Lord, so much that you, you answered our prayers. But what if those things didn't pan out the way you planned? What if your daughter failed and your son's in the C team? Are you still going to praise God? We need to praise before the provision. We can't, we can't go around expecting things from God. That's like a, a spoiled child eh? who says, I'm not going to praise you until you give me what you want. That child needs a smack. <laughs> Ooh, we don't do that anymore. Huh? Sorry. <laughs> we'll just put him in the corner for a while. We need to begin to be thankful all the time. Isaiah 61 speaks of the coming Messiah bringing a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Beauty for ashes. This is a garment we need to put on every day. If we want to be able to see that, that other staircase, that other road before we even get there, we need to develop a lifestyle of praise and worship to our King. Put on the garment of praise. This is instead of the, the sackcloth and the ashes that they used to heap on their heads when they're mourning. Now sackcloth, I think a lot of us think it's like a burlap sack, which is probably uncomfortable, but you can do it. It's not. It's a sack woven from black, thick, coarse goat's hair. Okay? Nothing nice about wearing that thing. Ashes on your head. You're walking around as a sign, an outward sign of what's going on the inside. You're hurting. You're mourning. You're in pain. And you're showing everyone else by wearing this thing. And it's, it's exactly the same for the garment of praise, but just on the whole other spectrum. We're showing the world that no matter what comes outside of us, this is my internal state. I will praise God no matter what happens. I will not let the outside infect the inside, but rather the inside affect the outside. That's what we're doing. And we need to hold on to that garment of praise every time. Every morning, put the garment of praise on. Begin by thanking God. I can guarantee you once you start thanking Him, you will realize there's a lot. A lot that you have. A lot to be thankful for. A lot to praise Him for. Number three, praise because it makes no sense. So I toyed with this, um, with this point for a while and how to phrase it. And I was going to say, praise even when it makes no sense. But that's, not what I, that's actually not what I wanted, want you to get this morning. I'm not saying praise even when your situation makes no sense. That's not what I'm saying. Then I thought of saying praise when it makes no sense. Also, just not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is praise because it makes no sense. You're lost? Don't worry, even me. What I'm trying to say is that something incredible happens when we praise, and we can't make sense of it. Look at how both of those stories ended. Three armies come to attack one. What happens? They attack each other. Complete chaos until they kill every last one. I don't know how that actually worked. It must have been like a dual sword thing in the last. And both of them went down, the last two men standing. Unless the one was just very depressed and he took himself. But just a crazy thing. Who would have expected that? It's, it's an unnatural and illogical outcome. Two guys in prison just praising the Lord. And all of a sudden an earthquake that causes prison gates to swing open and chains and shackles to fall off the hands and feet of people. 
Who would have expected that? What I'm trying to say is this doesn't make sense. Praise is a weapon that doesn't make sense. That's why we need to use it. Because it makes no sense to us. There is something supernatural that happens when we praise God. When we say, Lord, I believe that you are far bigger than my problems. I'm exalting you ahead of anything else. And what happens? He shows up. God shows up in that moment and something supernatural happens. So we need to praise because of that. Praise because something weird happens when we praise God. And it's about those, those weapons that He's given us that can demolish strongholds. And I want to tell you why not again? Why not now? Why can't that happen to us? Whatever you're facing right now, whatever is in front of you, do you think it can shift? Do you think you can shift if you begin to praise God that He can do it? Let's hold on to the hope that we have, that little flicker in the distance. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.